This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good day, church. My name is Ross. I'm the father of Nathan and Marguerite, aged eight and five. And my wife is working in Tigerberg Hospital in pediatrics. And I'll tell you a little bit later of her story as well. But I'm overseeing the church here in Durbanville. I've been in Shofar for about 22 or 23 years and the Lord radically touched my life while I was a student back there. So this day today, I'm so privileged to minister back to you. And the word I'm going to share with you is the word actually that is meaningful, that was sowed to me by Pastor Fred May in around 2000 and uh, when he first spoke this word. So I'm going to sow it back to you. I'm going to give it back to you because it's meant so much to me over these past 20, 22 years. So... Just before I start, I'm so excited to hear about all the courses that, are, that you can enroll in to grow in various leadership forms and Bible school and other ways. Uh, currently in Stellenbosch, and I'm so excited about the church and the drive-through church is going to happen soon for you. I'm really excited about that and I pray that you will grab at every single opportunity to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know this time, students especially, and I know that many of your students are coming back, so maybe just a word to you students, use every opportunity to grow. Don't let this pass you by, because I can tell you, this is a season in your life where there's a special grace for you to grow and to be shaped in a certain way, for a mindset to be formed and skills to be formed that will set you apart for God's sake. For years to come in your life and I pray that this will be for you as well. So the word I'm going to share today is from Judges chapter 1 but let me first just um, start with this. When last did you have a dream that uh, you woke up and you're in your dream and you went to work and you got to work or to class or to the sports field or you got to the mall and all of a sudden you realize that you are completely naked or you're in your underwear, or you're still in your pajamas, and you're so ashamed, and you're so shocked, and you try to hide away, and luckily, by God's grace, you wake up from the dream. Or, when last did you have a dream, where you're being attacked by someone or something, and you try to scream, or you try to fight, and you fight this thing off, but you feel you have absolutely no power to punch. You've got nothing, that you're being, you're being overwhelmed by something and you're trying to punch with all your might, but it seems as though your punches has, have no power in it at all. Both these two dreams often speak about subconscious fears or realities in our life, where we are completely unprepared, where we are completely insufficient for what we're about to face or the situation that we're in, or in and we fear that other people discover this, that we are insufficient. It's like... Uh, Pitching on your wedding day, what well, some people dream, pitching on the wedding day and you walk down the aisle and da, 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 da. And when you walk down the aisle, all of a sudden you realize that you are absolutely naked or you're still in your pajamas. You are not prepared for what you're entering in. And th- this often speaks about that. Now there's a text in Judges chapter 1 that speaks into the situation. Joshua, the chapter starts with Joshua, the commander of God's people. Um, all of a sudden... He passes away after he has allotted the land to the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, he led the people through the Jordan River miraculously to conquer Jericho miraculously, conquered a few major cities, and after conquering a few major strongholds in the country, allotted the land to the 12 tribes of Israel according to the word of Moses. And then Joshua passed away. And then chapter 1, verse 1 in, in the book of Judges starts. 
and it speaks, it says, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Whom shall go for us against the Canaanites? And the Lord answered and says, The tribe of Judah shall go up first, because I will give their land, I'll give the enemy into his hand. And then we read that Judah did go up and he parted with the tribe of Simeon and first conquered the strongholds in Simeon's nation, uh, Simeon's land, and then they moved to Judah's allotted land and they conquered. And let me just read this for you. Then they conquered a few tribes, uh, cities, Gaza in its territory, Ashkelon in its territory, Ekron in its territory. And then it says in this shocking way, And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain, because they had no chariots of iron. The Lord was with them. He conquered the highlands, but he couldn't conquer the lowlands, the plains, quite simply because they didn't have iron chariots like the Canaanites had iron chariots. And, and you would think about that word, and, and that word is shocking to me. Because it's supposed to, it's written in a way for us to realize that this is a big problem. This is a, uh, this is a paradox. This is an oxymoron. This doesn't make sense. The Lord is with them. God Almighty, their covenant God, Yahweh, is with them. That's what the word says there. But they didn't have what it take. And all it required was iron chariots. They needed God and iron chariots. And this is a weird thing. And... Then the rest of the book of Judges unpacks the consequence of this sentence. Because of their failure to possess the land, and this is a theme in the book, the failure to possess the land, because of their failure to possess the land, because of their failure to drive out the Canaanites with their iron chariots, we repeatedly read that they fell into apostasy and therefore into the oppression of the Canaanites and therefore they would cry out and God would raise a deliverer. The deliverer being um, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, Deborah, and all the other leaders, Edom, and all those other leaders that came by God's hand to deliver them from their enemies. But the pattern is the same. Because they failed to possess the land, because they failed to drive out their enemies, because they simply did not have iron chariots, they were enslaved to sin and enslaved to the oppressive people around them the whole time. And this is a shocking text. This is a, a sobering text. So I'd like us just to spend some time and just to look, look at this today. The first thing I just want to say about this paradox of the, the problem in the plane is that the problem in the plane was a, was a massive thing for them. Why, why, was, why was the iron chariots really a problem? Quite simply, I said so, the Canaanites had them and they did not. It, it's to us, uh, maybe a modern contemporary version is, is a bunch of troops walking with rifles onto a field and all of a sudden they are faced with a bunch of tanks and the, the war of the battle is over before it starts why because of superior speed and superior strength the armor of the tanks and it's exactly this picture the chariots with its horses had superior speed and superior strength the armor the literally the iron of the chariot literally defended the occupants in the chariot and therefore they could they could they could conquer their foes very simply and very swiftly very fast and they didn't have them and it's all they seem to have it's all they seem to need to face their enemies head on so secondly why was the plane an issue why, why was why was it the issue for the plane now I just mentioned it that it was a problem for them the whole time 
But although they lived in their fortresses in the hill country, in the mountains, although they could hide in these fortified cities and they could feel safe and protected, they needed the plains for agriculture, both to cultivate wheat and cultivate fruit, grapes, and also to, to have pasture lands for their sheep and their oxen and the pigs and stuff that they had. Now the Judeans didn't eat the pigs, but for the for the animals that they had, they needed the lowlands, the pasture land. They needed the water for for to to cultivate these these uh, agricultural crops that they were to produce for food for them. But it's more than just the food; it's also the trade. So whoever controlled the the lowlands, whoever controlled the plains, also controlled the trade routes between the cities and between the nations, and therefore. The Canaanites prospered and the Judeans and the people of Israel were constantly uh, hampered in their market economy because they simply did not control. They didn't have free will to move around because the Canaanites with their chariots simply controlled the plains. So they didn't allow for, they constantly oppressed the people of God economically and agriculturally. But it's more than that. It also speaks about the connection. And we can see this in the text, uh, in the book of Judges, that during the time of Judges, the people in Israel, uh, their, their tribes were absolutely separate and their cities were even separate because they couldn't have a cohesive union between them. They couldn't feast, they couldn't gather for feasting, they couldn't um, meet together freely to build the nation, but the tribes were, were separated, separate in the areas quite simply because they couldn't be connected. And what it says is that the Canaanites completely controlled economy, controlled agriculture, controlled nation building. They prevented them to become a land flowing with milk and honey. That promise was never ever fulfilled. That promise was never ever fulfilled. Quite simply because the Canaanites had chariots and the Judeans did not have chariots. And this is what the book actually unpacks. And it speaks about the decay and the falling away of God's people um, because of an unfulfilled promise and inability to possess the land. So I want us to just look into this text today. And I want you to first read it as a mirror. I want you to look at them. And I'm going to unpack now. Imagine, imagine these people who were born in the wilderness, heard about the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey all their life, saw great miracles as the, 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 the Jordan in flood was blown away by wind, literally blown away by wind. They could walk through on dry foot. They saw the walls of Jericho fall down. They saw the fear of God in eye, and they saw the conquest of God. They saw the moon and the sun standing still by great miracles. They came. Their land was allotted to them. They saw the cities, four major cities, fall by the grace of God because the Lord was with them. They saw these cities. And now all of a sudden they just tried to take the next strongholds in the plains, but they couldn't because they didn't have iron chariots. Imagine the disillusionment of this major promise. They were living for, they saw the fulfillment of this promise happening in a sense, and all of a sudden this, the promise was not fulfilled. All of a sudden the promise just fell flat, absolutely flat, and it was never ever accomplished, it was never ever fulfilled. Imagine that. Imagine that sense of shame. The fear that you lived in because you knew that the enemies were too strong for you and you constantly lived for the fear of you and your family and your, and your community because the enemies were too strong. You know that you don't have the fight, the power to, to conquer them. Imagine that fear. Imagine the doubt that they started to, to creep in in themselves. Doubt in their ability 
doubt in the promise, doubt in was that God who actually helped us back there, doubt does God actually want us to possess this land, is God going to, did God abandon us? A sense of abandonment and a loss of faith, a loss of identity. And if you're not God's special people, and if you're not God's special, God, if God is not with you, what are you then? And that was sort of the prayer of Moses. God, if you're not with us, then we like everyone else. And they're no longer special, they think, because God is not with me. God does not give me success here. Disillusionment, fear, doubt, complete sense of hopelessness. What they lived for, what they existed for, all of a sudden is not happening. And we can see this loss of faith in God, doubt, creeping in with the worship of the other gods and the decay constantly. So the loss, the unfulfilled promise is massive. I wonder, can you identify with that? What promise in your life seemed as though it was moving in a direction, God was doing something and it never actually materialized? What promise in your life is standing before you and that you, you, you stop trusting God for it because you tried and you tried and you tried and just the, the pain of failure and the shame of failure and the the pain of feeling that God has lost you, you've moved away. I want to ask you, do you still know the promises that God has for you? Can you identify with this? And then I want to ask you the second thing. And I want to show you that this text is not only a mirror to see yourself and your unfulfilled promise and the pain and the disillusionment that comes from it. This is also a window. This text is a window for me. When I look at this text, I see that what God has called with the promise of God for Israel, and Israel lost context of what the promise was, because the promise was not simply just for them. It was not just for them to have a land flowing with milk and honey where they can become fat and rich and peaceful and lazy and sloth. God's purpose with Israel had always been His chosen people that He saved that were nobodies, and He made them a prosperous, powerful nation that is kind and generous and just like him. The point of Israel's promise, the point of the land, and that's why the point of the land for Israel is still an issue. The point of the land is, can you see, here is a nation, and this was the point of Israel when they inherited that land, can you see that this is a place where I want to bless you, a geographic area where you live, where people can come to in taste and see that the Lord is good. Where the people from Egypt, Sheba, can move to Solomon and say, Wow, I've never seen a kingdom like this. I've never seen rules like this. I've never seen wisdom. I've never seen peace and prosperity like this. I've never seen what God is like. And now I can see what God intended for humanity. The chosen people of God had always been salvific. So that people can see this is what God is like, this is what God's salvation is like, this is what God's plan for humanity had always been. And Israel lost that perspective. And because they lost that perspective, they would intermarry with the Canaanites, live like the Canaanites, worship like the Canaanites, become vile, as we can see in the book of Judges, and violent and completely crazy, lose the sense of what humanity is all about, because they intermarried. And God is saying, no, you should not become like that. The point of your promises, if it's from God, is salvific. The point of those promises of God is redemptive in nature. God wants to bless you. God wants to, if it's a promise from God, it's going to cost you combat. It's going to cost you war. It's going to cost you, and I don't just want to use war, but it's going to cost you effort to possess the promise. And the promise is not for your sake. The promise is for God's sake. That people may see what God is like. 
and what His kingdom is like and what He wants for humanity. If there's a promise of God in your life, if there's a dream that God has given you, I want you to not lose focus of what it is all about. It's about God. And therefore, constantly in the book of of Judges, in chapter 2 and chapter 18, but a few times, chapter 5, a few times in the book, we hear the phrase, Israel, possess the land. Israel, how long will you take to possess the land? Because you need to possess this land, because this land is my land, it's my people. I want to live with you. I want to um, dwell among you, that people may come to be restored fellowship. I want to restore fellowship and peace on the earth that you may be my people and I may be your God, not just you, but every tribe. You may be a light to the nations. The third thing, this text to me is a mirror of me and my dreams, my disillusionment, of a window, seeing something of a perspective of what God is doing, seeing something of the purpose of God's dreams for my life. And thirdly, this is also a door. It gives me opportunity to respond in faith. And this is what it's responding to. And this might seem really... Not so spiritual, but it is so spiritual. Please remember that God's purpose with man had been, and when you speak about purpose, it's also to keep and to cultivate the earth. God wants us to preserve what is good and to cultivate, to make more, to, to, to enrich, prosper, but not just, not just for self. But the point is to, to, to have more, to make more of what we have. Stewardship is all about preserving and cultivating. And this is the, the, the man's stewardship command, keep and cultivate the earth. So, but it's very, very practical. It's not, it's not always so spiritual if it's spiritual. So this is what he's saying. Israel failed to possess the land, to drive out the Canaanites, and therefore were ensnared for generations. Because of what? Because they did not acquire the skill to make iron chariots. And this is what this text shows. This text shows that God was with them. God gave them a command. And God is waiting for Israel to to use their skills. Remember in the book of Exodus, God gave Uri the song of Beelzebub. He gave him the, the wisdom and the skill by the anointing, the Spirit of God, to make artistic work and to make metal work and iron work and all those things. And it seems as though Israel reserved this special gift only to make the tabernacle. But God didn't just give it to make the tabernacle. God gave them the, the ability to do this awesome iron work, metal work stuff and woodwork. And they never translated this to the iron chariots. They never seem to, to make the shift from the gift of God is not just to make the temple a great place, but to actually make the earth a great place, to liberate it from evil, to, to, to possess the land. And they never seem to make that skill. And if you read this text, you see that they had God, they needed God, and they needed iron chariots, and then the book of Judges would have never been there. There would have never been a problem. They would have never had a problem with the Canaanites from that moment onwards. And I wonder for me and for you whether this is the same. I've, over 20 years of pastoral work, I can tell you that so many people sat in front of me and it's as though they had these promises from God, but they waited patiently and passively for the promise of God to, to fall from the sky, always referring to Abraham. And I'm like, Abraham wasn't passively waiting. Abraham was giving it his all to have a son. He was actively engaging his wife. He was actively engaging God. He did everything he could to get a son. And if you just passively wait for God to open a door to fulfill a promise, I'm going to say you're going to wait indefinitely because God is waiting for you. God was waiting for the Israelites to get iron chariots to root out the evil. And he said it over and over again, possess the land, possess the land, possess the land. How long will you wait to possess the land? And I wonder whether God is saying to me and to you a similar thing. He's saying, when will you actively engage? When will you 
become productive in pursuit of your promises? Where, where, when will you do something in pursuit? And two occasions over the last 12 years, the Lord clearly said to me, Ross, I want you to reposition yourself. A few times the Lord said to me this in these two periods, 10 years apart. And every time after inquiring, praying, it also included me to enroll into studies, to physically study, to, 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 to grow in competence and character, to become the person who actually can possess His promise. The Lord said, reposition yourself because Ross, if you're waiting for something, it's not going to happen. Ross, I want you to move and I want you to upskill yourself, to grow yourself. I want you to move to become a person that can lead the church and to lead the church yeah, this area where you are now, beyond where you can take it now. You need to grow, Ross. You need to equip yourself. You need to grow to position, uh, to position yourself so that you may possess the promise. And, and on two occasions I heard and I had to do that. And it obviously required enormous amount of stress and work and effort. My wife, she, oh, in 1998, 1999, many, many years ago, 21 years ago, I was praying with my wife um, one day because I just walked past. I wanted to say hello to my friend who was then my friend, Makhrit. And uh, she was crying. I felt her crying under the, the, the fig tree there in front of Hastenbos. And she was praying. And I said to her, what's going on? And she said, no, she just came back from a practicum, enrolled in social work first year. And this is not her. This doesn't fit her. She can't do this. This is not what she wants to do. And I asked her, so what do you want to do, Makhrit? And she said to me, Ross, I want to become a pediatrician like my dad. I want to work with small babies. That's all I ever wanted to do. But they said to me at school, I'm not bright enough. And they said to me that I'm a woman. I can never be a doctor. And I said, well, what do you want to do? She said, I want to be a doctor. So we prayed together and she continued to pray and to pursue. It took her three years of tears and effort to eventually be enrolled after finishing her first degree to, to be enrolled in medicine in Pretoria. And she, we moved up the same year, incidentally. <laughs> we got married a few years later. But her six years of studies, and I can say this from being very close to her, six years of studies was never easy, ever easy for her. It was hard work. It was very difficult for her. She worked through it. And on more than one occasion, she would say to me and to the rest of the small group when we planted church in Pretoria, she would say to us, I wonder if it was so, I wonder if God promises to me, why is it so difficult? Why is it so much effort for me to pass medicine? Why doesn't it become easy? Because I know what God called me. And I want to say the same to you. If there's a promise of God that God promises you, that He's inviting you into to partner with Him, a promise of God is an invitation to partner with Him. And if there's promise, that reward for, the, for partnering with Him, it's never going to be easy. So you finish the six years. Moved to Helderberg here in Somerset West, worked at the hospital there for three years, did an internship and a commserve year there. And uh, I remember, I remember it was really difficult for her. She had to pray sometimes, wake up an hour earlier just to pray to calm her senses because she was so traumatized at what was happening in the hospital as a young woman. Just the violence and the chaos and just the, the life and death, the, the, the cost of life and death of her actions was really, really hectic for her. She loved the pediatrics, but the small hospital, she couldn't major in pediatrics there. So she had to major in everything, get exposure and everything. And it was really difficult. I remember some stage later, after finishing her three years, she moved to this side. We moved to, to Durbanville area, Belleville area, worked at Tigerberg, where she still is. And I remember her at times coming home. And uh, she said to me, Ross, I'm not doing what I feel the Lord is calling me to do. I feel the Lord said, I feel the promise of becoming a pediatrician. And I know the cost it's going to have for me and for us as a family. 
we were just deciding to fall pregnant then, to have a first boy. And remember the cost of life and the cost of effort that it cost us, and her especially, the hard work, the fights, the prayers, the long hours, the loss of social, social ability, the loss of so many things, because she pursued her promise. I want to ask you the same thing. If there is a promise from God in your life for something, are you pursuing it? Have you stopped doing it? And what is the simple thing that you feel God is saying that you should do towards that promise? Because if you're passively waiting, I can tell you it's never going to happen. But I feel that God is inviting us in this time, for His sake, to move beyond just waiting and praying, to move beyond position yourself for the promise of God. Position yourself to possess the promise. And this was the invitation. Get the iron chariots, make iron chariots, and then the problem is over. Then you will possess the land. But failure to do so will constantly keep you oppressed and marginalized from society. And for us as a church, a wider picture, I feel the same thing. You know, now that we can't physically meet in our buildings anymore, now that we physically cannot be in our buildings, I wonder whether you've considered that we have actually as a church marginal influence in our cities and in our world. You know, so much of our activities as believers are surrounded by Sunday services or surrounded by the gathering of the saints. So much of our effort is, is living in community and it's great. But it's as though that stops there, you know. As though the only thing we're trusting for God is a word for someone else in the small group or maybe a gift in the church or maybe just participation in the church. But it's as though many times it doesn't translate in the lowlands. We, we, we're happy in the highlands in our fortresses and safe spaces, but now we can't meet together. And now we are acutely aware of the fact that we cannot possess the lowlands, that we, we physically don't possess the lowlands, that for a great part, poverty, unemployment in this country is untouched by us. So it, it's not as though the church is really doing anything about that. Or maybe it comes to our justice or our government or education sector, a highlight now for us, science and technology, all the spheres of society. And I just feel that God is calling us to possess the plains. To possess the planes and possessing the planes doesn't mean we own it it just means that we set the rules we set the parameters we trust God to build chariots ourselves to upskill ourselves in such a way that we enforce what happens in this that we are the ones empowered to see that peace is not only found in the highlands in our churches and our church communities but there is peace for everyone who lives in Israel for everyone who lives in Judah and I feel the invitation from God, and this is just a word that I've carrying for more than 20 years, that God is inviting us to not just living in the church and to not just dominate in the church, to not just trust Him for miracles in the church, in the high places, far away from society, but actually to dominate it. And I've seen so many friends that actually get it right. And we know a few names in our country that get it right, that somehow by God's grace, have become the Joshua's and the Daniel's and the Nehemiah's and the Ezra's and the Esther's to actually live in the sphere where governance and education and things like that happen. And my invitation to you is, do you have a promise of God? And I'm going to say it bluntly, do you have a promise of God of influence? Because if you have a power promise of God for influence, I want to challenge you to trust God, to gain the skills, to build the iron chariots so that you can actually make it in the market planes, so you can actually make it in the education planes, so you can actually make it in the sphere where it is most necessary. May God bless you. Pray through this. I want to encourage you to, to talk to friends about this word, to read this text in Judges chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, over and over and over again. 
and rethink the promises that you have from God and rethink your response to those promises and, and bring those sense of failures over and over and over of trying to make it to fulfill your promise to God. Bring those pro- frustrations to God. Trust God to heal your heart. To trust Him again. And then say, God, what are the skills that I need to build my iron chariot that I might no longer be conquered, but for your sake may inherit, may possess the promise that your kingdom may come on this earth through my life as well. God bless you. May peace be with you and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ carry you in this week and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be your part in this week. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.